was the big um, family vacation. My family, my brother's family, my mom and dad all rented a house in Vermont for a week. It was a great time. It was also the time where the movie Uncle Drew came out. Why does this matter? Well, I had a friend who worked for PepsiCo who uh, got some hookups, and Uncle Drew was actually owned by Pepsi. So if you don't know anything about the movie, Uncle Drew is a bunch of uh, basketball people, some just NBA players. That's all you really need to know. Long story short, I'm in Vermont, and I got a phone call on a Monday night. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Uh, I said, I'm in Vermont. Oh, I wanted to take you to the premiere of Uncle Drew and then the after party where we got to meet all the actors and hang out. And I thought, how can I pull this off? Actually, I rejected the invitation. Still don't know if I made the right decision. No, I'm kidding. It's great to have family time. It really is. I know you would have. That's why I'm trying not to say out loud. No, but I'm kidding, but um, I got an invitation to do something cool, and it, and it sounds totally stupid, but if we had to talk about like famous people to meet, one of the ones I want to meet is Shaquille O'Neal, and I could have, because um, I think the dude is just hilarious, and I really want to see if he's that funny off camera, but um, the point is, the, the reason I actually did not go was probably because my mom would have killed me, but two... Um, you know, I already had prior engagements. I, you know, I chose my family over meeting Shaq, or my wife said I couldn't go. Any of those reasons, I'm just kidding, was in there. But um, the point is that I, I enjoyed being invited. I enjoyed the opportunity. And yet, I turned the opportunity down. So, I feel like the Lord Jesus Christ has given certain invitations in Scripture that sometimes we see almost as just the gospel. And I have found in my Christian walk that these invitations are not just simply to get saved, but to do life. Um, And I have taken those for granted, or at times I've rejected those invitations. And so today I just want to go through some passages that might be familiar to you. Um, And I really want to just think and uh, not take for granted the fact that God invites us to draw close to him all the time. Um, I don't want to take that stuff for granted. We take a lot of things for granted. Uh, By the way, here's a little sidebar so we had a good conversation out there. Don't take for granted, again, Sunday morning. It really should be a place of reverence. There's a lot of different ways that can practically work out. Um, there's just ways those things can practically work out. But don't think you're just coming and showing up here just to kind of, you know, do a church thing. You're actually coming corporately into the presence of God, hopefully with, uh, you know, like-minded believers. Um, and if not, that we should take for granted. Okay? And so that should actually change the way we do things, simple things like not going to the bathroom um, in the middle of the meeting. I know that sounds crazy. I'm not saying you can't if you have an emergency. I'm just saying that sometimes we don't stop and think to even maybe teach the next generation, hey, you got to hold it because we're actually in the presence of God. So I'll just leave that with you. Enough of that sidebar. Okay, turn to John chapter 1, please. And as I'm thinking about what I just said, if anyone left to go to the bathroom today, I did not notice. So I'm not pinging you out. I have no idea if you left to go to the bathroom. Okay. First, no, not first John. John chapter 1. 
We'll start in verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and he remained with them that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Jesus has said, Come and see to those who have questions and want to learn. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions about life, and yet sometimes the process of learning, the process of, of learning um, can kind of get wearisome. And so you just kind of want to stop learning and stop asking questions for a while. And it's just not good. And on top of that, we serve a God that actually says constantly, come and see, come and find out. Come and find out all the answers to all your questions. I think, like I said, I can get almost... Um, uh, just not in a good place where I'm kind of like, ah, you know, I thought I solved the answer to these questions. God taught me something, and then it seems like I have more questions. When will the questions stop coming? I don't think they do, uh, especially as life hits you in different ways. Um, but I want to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ said, come and see, come and find out. These guys acknowledge the fact that he's a teacher. That's why they call him rabbi. There were guys who were sitting there under the discipleship of John, and John introduces them to the Lamb of God, and they are now willing to go follow Jesus. And the amazing thing that happens is when they actually pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, when he says, come and see, look at verse uh, 41, we found the Messiah. We found what we were looking for. And that's another bedrock, solid, biblical principle is that when you go to Jesus Christ with your answers, you will get the answer. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Sometimes you don't like the answer, but he has promised, I'll give you the answer. If you've got questions, I'll give them to you. And the interesting thing to me is that in this whole thing, how did they find out he was the Messiah? From what we know, he did not do any miracles. Maybe he preached to him a sermon. I don't know. It's probably about 12 hours spent with Jesus Christ. And right in 12 hours' time, they come out and say, we found the one. We found the one that's been prophesied about for thousands of years. We found him. Doing what? Just hanging out with him. They didn't witness no miracles. They didn't. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, I'm staying over here. Why don't you come and see? And they just hung out. You understand the God you serve that just being in his presence can actually just, just illuminate truth to you. You figure out things that you didn't know before. Jesus could have stopped right there when he says, what do you seek? And they said, where are you staying? He could have literally given them a, a place. Yeah, I'm staying at, you know, James's house. Why? He could have said, the real question you want to ask me is this. Let me give you the answer. No, he said, come and see. And that is the great invitation of God himself. Where he says, listen, just come and check it out. Come see. Come be with me. And so many times we refuse to go see where he is. 
I want you to think again about all the things they would have missed if they stayed with John. They would have had a pretty cool uh, testimony, by the way. Man, we were disciples of John the Baptist. You know, that crazy guy that wore the crazy clothes, got in the faces of the religious leaders of the day, told people to repent. We were baptizing tons of people. And it was just, it was cool, man. I associated myself with John the Baptist. I got to be one of his close disciples. That would have been a pretty cool track record. It would have been pretty sweet to sit there and be like, oh, man, I was one of John the Baptist's disciples. And yet they had to leave that in order to be a part of who Jesus Christ was. They had to leave John the Baptist. They had to go put themselves under Jesus Christ instead. I want to remind us again what they're about to see in the next three years of their life. They're about to see blind men open up their eyes and and, and be able to see. They're about to see lame men leap and run around. They're about to see dead people raised from the grave. They're about to hear messages they have never heard before from Jesus Christ himself. God, literally hearing a message from God. They're about to see Jesus Christ go talk to the Pharisees, teach with authority that everyone else in the crowd is going, who talks like this? They're about to see some loaves of bread and some fish get turned into feeding thousands of people. They're about to see all of that just for coming and saying, listen, let me just hang out with you. And they would have lost all of that if they stayed with John the Baptist. All of it. And you know what? Most of us would have been like this. Well, that's, that's okay. John the Baptist needed some disciples too. That's okay. Uh, what's the big deal? Don't judge. That's what most of us would have said. <laughs> Guys, there are still some of us that no matter how long we have been saved, have refused to get out of the discipleship of church life and Christianity and meet with your Savior. Never once just said, I forsake everything I know, and I'm just going to pursue who he is. There's still some of us that are in that boat. The next one, he has actually invited us to come and discuss our sins. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to give you a little bit of background to show you where the state of Israel is uh, before we get to the address where there's the invitation. In verse 3 of uh, chapter 1 in the book of Isaiah, this is the Lord, and he says, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. There is uh, something I do in my class. I try to uh, get my kids to define family. And it's pretty tough, actually, to actually come up with a definition of what family means. Sometimes the answers thrown out are a blood relative. And I say, ooh, anyone adopted in the room? And everyone goes, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, every single class I get, I have some students say, "Um, it's some people that love and care about you. And I laugh and go, well, then you're all my family, aren't you? I said, and you're not. So that definition really doesn't work. In fact, I tell them, uh, we all know that families should love each other. And yet, if we're honest, we probably have legitimate family members that we know legitimately don't care about us. And that's just the truth. I have a paternal grandfather that left my uh, grandmother, when my dad was, I don't even know, something like eight or nine years old, I never met the guy. Um, he was my real-life paternal grandfather, and I don't think he really cared about me. 
And if I'm honest, I just I don't think I really cared about him because I never met the guy. I never knew the guy. So that was a family member. Um, that that's that's my life story. So why do I say that? Is because typically the younger generation is obviously very affected uh, when the older family members do not love and care for them as they should. But in this portion, it's reversed. The kids are the ones saying. I don't even know who you are, God. I want us to think about that. The kids are the ones that go, God, I don't. And Jesus is saying, the, the, the animals know who the masters are. The animals can tell, hey, there's my master. My children don't even know who I am. That's how far into sin they've got. And then, in that state, if you go to verse 11. It says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or as goats. But when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. And he keeps going. Not only do they not even really know who he is but they're continuing to do religious things. They're continuing to show up to church. They're making sacrifices that are just complete abominations, and they don't even get it. They don't even get it. And now we get down to verse 18, where he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wood. What kind of God do we serve that has said, come, let's talk about your sins? And not when we repent and go, okay, well, now we messed up. Can we talk about it? Their state is one of just complete awfulness. And God reaches down and says, hey, can we discuss your sins? Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's reason together. Hey, do you have time that we can discuss your sins? That's the kind of God we serve with our sins. One translation would say, come on now, let's settle this. And if you really look at it, uh, there's a lot of deep, uh, just deep pictures of who God is and just saying this. But some would say something like this. God says, listen, you have no case. You, you have absolutely no case before me. So I'm going to make you white as snow. Can we talk about that? That's, that's the context of God saying, you don't have a shot. You have nothing to say to me. Your sins are awful, but I want to make it like you're white as snow. Can we talk about that? That's who we serve. And there's so many times in my life where I would sit there and say something like, no, I'm not going to talk to you about my sins, God. You know why? Because you're holy and righteous. And I, I don't want to taint you talking about such gross stuff. Or, God, you know what? I've actually asked forgiveness for this sin about a hundred times. So I'm not going to ask forgiveness again. I don't want to talk about it. Let me fix it before we talk about it, please. I don't want to make it look... Listen, I'm embarrassed over this sin. I'm thinking things that no, I don't want anyone to know about. I don't want anyone to figure out what's going on in my mind. I don't want anyone to know the real me. Let me hide this right now, God. And when I fix this... Because I definitely don't want to talk about the real sin that's in my life with you. Not because I think I'm better, but because I don't want to affect you. 
You're holy and righteous. I don't want to just, this is evil that I got. Why should I give it to you? And God says, give me your sin. I really, I can't, I can't comprehend how God would just sit there and, and maybe even gently say, just give me your sin. Just give it to me. I'll take care of it. I want to make you white as snow. Just give it to me. No, I don't want to give it to you. No, it's gross. It's nasty. Just give it to me. Ah, oh, but, I mean, I know you know all things, but I just, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, Come into your presence and talk about all of this. No, just give me your sin. I paid for that. I paid for that. I I I can't. Your God has said, come, let's discuss it. Let's discuss it. And they got big stains. (laughs) The beautiful thing is you read these Things where it says your sins are like scarlet has the idea there of, of just a piece of cloth forever changed. The reason I'm wearing a tie today is because at 10 of 9 I was walking out the door and the shirt had a stain on it and I had to change. So then I quickly put on this one after my daughter ironed my shirt and there was a stain here that I tried to cover the tie. That's why I'm wearing a tie. But the point is, it's very hard to get stains out. God is telling these guys, the evidence is there. You're all stained up. But I'm going to make it like you're white as snow. Can we talk about it? Can we talk about it? Can we discuss it? We serve an amazing God when it comes to our sin. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. God is telling us to come to him if we want our needs met. I would say there's three reasons why people get thirsty. One is just natural. We need water to live. And God has given all of us something inside of us that thirsts after the meaning of life. What's this life all about? How can I get true satisfaction? How can I have real love, real joy, real peace? I think there's an overwhelming thirst that he's put inside every single one of us. There's another reason why we get thirsty, because sometimes we're drinking things that actually make us more thirsty instead of drinking the proper thing. Everyone in this room probably knows I love me some diet soda. I could pound diet soda every day. I'm one of those guys that realizes I could probably do a two liter of diet soda every day and not bat an eye. And yeah, that's gross, but you know what? I like it. And 
I also know the true real facts of it doesn't quench thirst. In fact, it probably makes you thirstier. And I also know the facts that if I just had the water, I probably would not be as thirsty. But I like diet soda. So, there's a lot of things that we pursue in life that we know are not satisfying at all. And are actually making us thirstier. And we keep going after them. And your God is saying, can you please come drink from me? Can you please come drink from me? There's other times where we've actually been doing the work for him. And it makes us thirsty. And we're starting to become weary in just serving the Lord. And we are thirsting. And he is more than able to provide us at that point as well. Some of you have heard this story. It's one of my favorite stories. A man is wandering through a desert with bottles of water on his shoulder. He conserves his water carefully until it's all gone. And then he begins to get thirsty. That thirst got deeper and deeper until he sees the pump and runs to it. He lifts the handle and pulls it down. But all he hears is the sound of metal on metal. He starts to panic. Then he sees a tin can at the bottom of the pump. And the tin can is the message. Dear traveler, do not despair. There's enough water here. Just follow the instructions. Lift the handle of the pump. Bring it down. And when you hear the sound of metal on metal discouraging, here's what you do. Under the pump in front of you, there's buried under the sand a bottle of water. Don't despair. Pick up the bottle of water, pour it into the cylinder, and start priming the pump. The moisture will get the system to work. A rush of water will start gushing out of the pump. You can drink all the water you want. Fill up your bottles, but don't forget to fill up the bottle again and leave it for the next passerby. Warning, you're going to be tempted when you see this one bottle of water to drink it. But you'll be so thirsty again, and so will everyone else who goes by. Empty it out as instructed, and you'll have all the water you want, and so will everybody else going by. Ravi Zacharias said this about the story. When you come up against, when you come up against what Christ uh, offers you, when you come up against Christ, he offers you that drink, that living water to free you, to be what you were designed to be, not to be enslaved just by the moment. If you empty your life on yourself, you will soon be thirsty again, and so will everybody else who comes across your path. Empty it out into his hands, and he will fill you and give you the water that you can share with everybody else. So that life can be full and meaningful. Come to the waters. You have no money. Come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk. Why does God, by the way, invite us so much to be close to him and draw us uh, nigh to him? Look where it says there in verse 2. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. The amazing thing about our God is he's actually drawing us close, not just so we can obey and not so we can kind of do a checklist, so that it can go well for us. He's saying, listen to me, I want you to have a great life. I want your life to be filled with abundance. You've got to drink from me. And it's not going to cost you anything. And I find myself over and over saying, no, Lord, no. I'm going to buy it. It's too much. You've done too much. I'm not going to get free water from you. No, please, it's free. No, Lord, I've got to pay for it somehow. Let me go do something. Let me go earn money. In fact, you've given me enough free water. Let me go buy some food and drink from over here at this venue. So I feel like I'm at least paying for something. That's our attitude sometimes. And God's sitting here saying, listen, the water's free. I got as much as you want. Can you please come drink? Why are you wasting your money? Why are you spending your money in that stuff? And there's something about us as humans. We go, no, no, no. I don't want to take the free stuff. I don't want to take that. Let me earn it. Let me buy it. 
And the stuff we buy is horrible for us. We're wasting. And he's saying, you want abundant life? Come, please come drink. Please come drink. Come drink from me. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. God says, come when we have questions. Come to discuss our sins. Come when we want our needs met. Come when you simply need to rest. Matthew chapter 11. In verse 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Some of us are still carrying heavy ladens. Another way you can almost read this verse would be this. Come to me, all who are tired from work and are carrying a large load that's wearing you down. I still remember bringing in the firewood, and no matter what, I think my brother would stack one or two logs, and it was never good enough for us as guys. No, put, put a few more on. Put a few more on. And so you'd try to get the logs to be stacked, and you could barely move, and then always came the horrible part of going down the stairs with eight logs in your arms. And I dropped a few of them going down those stairs. But the point is, somehow, we just... It's what it means to be heavy laden. It's like it was just less work in my mind to carry 80 pounds instead of two trips of 40 or four trips of 20, if my math's right. And yet there's a lot of things in life that can simply weigh us down. A lot of things like that we're just, we just keep working and working. And he has said, come to me, those who are feeling this way, and I want to give you rest. The Pelicano was a ship... That was in Philadelphia. Philadelphia had a trash problem. They put a bunch of their trash on the ship. They were going to try to go dump it off somewhere else. And no one else wanted it. The story goes like this. The Pelicano became an infamous floating garage dump with megatons of rotting trash containing toxic elements from arsenic to lead. No nation around the entire world wanted the Pelicano anywhere near them. It had a cargo of trash that it simply could not get rid of. Life has a way of unloading its junk on us too sometimes due to our sins, circumstances, and also because of things others have done to us, either intentionally or unintentionally, we get burdened under the weight of trash. What happened was this ship was filled, I think it was something like 10,000 tons or something of trash, and they thought they would simply just kind of take it out of port and go to some country in the Caribbean. Every time they pulled up, the country in the Caribbean was like, nope. I'm not taking this trash. And so literally, it sailed around the world for two to three years until, it doesn't really go along good with the illustration, but I think they dumped half of it in the ocean. And then somehow, we're missing it. Okay, but the point is, no one wanted this trash. And they were spending a lot of money refilling the gas just to float trash around the world because no one wanted it. 
It says, in fact, over time, trash becomes downright toxic. It produces the fumes of anger, guilt, pessimism, fear, and bitterness. So we end up floating from one person to another or from one situation to another situation only to discover that we get to hang around long enough to get some fuel, but no longer than that. And no one wants our trash. If weary describes you, then I have good news for you, because Jesus said that he offers freedom from what weighs you down. This freedom comes through the one of the greatest words in Scripture, rest. Rest. Again, as I read this Scripture, if I'm honest, there's just times where I read it and I just I say, oh God, uh, don't, don't tell people you're lowly in heart. They'll take advantage of you. You cannot sit there and tell people plainly with, with your word that will last forever, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Don't you understand how humans are? They'll take advantage of that in a heartbeat. They'll just throw all your trash on you. Why would you say that publicly? God, I understand that you know, you're gentle, but don't, don't just throw it out there. You don't look maybe like a strong God. Has anyone ever felt like that? And don't get me wrong, guys. I know he's the Lion of Judah. I know he's unbelievably powerful and all that stuff. But sometimes I sit there and go, you just told everyone for eternity, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. That's the God you serve. He's saying, come, I want to give you rest. Come here. Let me, you're heavy laden. You got a lot. Come to me. I'm gently and lowly of heart. God, how can you say that to people? They're the ones that might have messed up their lives. They're the ones that put the trash on themselves. And now you're saying, come to me. Just come to me and rest. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Shouldn't you be judging them? Come to me. Learn from me. And again, you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. i got to tell you, there's just times where I have to realize to just go to Jesus and just, just dump load. Just sit there and say, yep, here's what I did. Here's what I, I messed up. Here's my natural consequences for all this stuff. I just want to give it to you. Yep, here's what I did. I, I got myself in a jam again. Or, Lord, I didn't do anything this time. I, I thought I was actually doing okay, and I'm just getting attacked and killed. Can, can you just take this? Can you just take this? And never once does God say no. In fact, he's asking and inviting me to say, can you please just unload on me? I can take it. I can, I, I'm strong enough. I'm big enough. Just give it to me. That's the invitation God has given us. How do we practically apply a message like this of God's invitations? Well, I think it's simple for me in some ways. Number one, are you approachable? Can people come to you? If we're to be Christ-like, and he has this amazing invitation to us, saying, come ask me about your questions. Come, let's discuss your sin. Come, 
if you're weary and tired, come if you if you need if you you have needs, come to me. What's the Christian supposed to look like? What are we supposed to look like to people if our God is so inviting? Are you approachable? Can people go to you with that stuff? Can people actually come to you and talk to you about their sin? Can they do that? I mean, when you're struggling with a sin, it's hard enough to admit it, right? But then sometimes you realize that body life is about admitting that sin to someone and maybe even getting help. But I got to tell you, you got to have a pretty solid testimony for someone to come unload their sin on you and not feel judged and know that you're going to help them. You got to be pretty approachable. And so I think of the story of the woman at the well. I love that story where she said, come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. The reason that's so shocking to me is she kind of seems excited about it. Jesus called her out. Jesus said, you don't have a husband. You've actually had five. And the one you're living with now isn't your husband. Come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. What's the connection there? Jesus did not back down from her sin, but you know what he did do? He talked to a woman in the middle of the day. He broke down social uh, barriers that no, his disciples are like, why are you talking to a woman? Oh, and she's a Samaritan. Do you think just from him opening his mouth and making a conversation, opened up a door where she felt like, wow, this guy loves me. This guy is willing to talk to me. And now he wants to talk about my husband's. Come meet the man that told me everything. I found the Messiah. I found him. Can we be approachable like that? Where people know that we love them that much, and yet we're not going to back down to the sin. Because that's why they're coming to us. How do, how do you, I need help with this. How does it work? We're not going to be ones that just go, oh, don't worry about that. No, we're going to discuss it. But we have to be approachable. advice to people. I know that sounds funny. When Jesus says, come and see, that, that is ultimate discipleship as a Christian. Come look at my life. Come look at my life. Uh, how do you raise your kids? Why don't you come to dinner? You'll see exactly parenting 101. Come have a meal with me around dinner time. You'll see as much as you want about my parenting techniques. Because that's all of us, guys. How do you do this? Just come, come, come hang out with me. You want to see how I do life? You have to come be with my life. But are you able to give advice? Do you know what you're strong at and what you're not strong at? Jesus knew he could heal the people. That's why the people were coming to him. If you're coming to me for a special healing, I don't think it's going to work. I know that. Listen, this is kind of like the flip side of it. But are we those that shut people off before they can even give us advice? I, I mean, hey, I'm going to buy this house. It's really out of our price range. It's really going to stretch us. But I think the stretching will be good for us. So we're going to we're going to go do this in a week from now. Well, when you say something like that, if I had any advice for you, now I got to climb. I got to climb over walls to really try to 
Is, is that the best idea? Oh, no, no, yeah, it, it's, it's great. I mean, it's going to struggle. It's great. No, don't, don't worry about it. I got this. When you talk like that to someone, you're not inviting any conversation to happen. You've already made very clear, don't come near the advice column. And I think sometimes we do that. Can someone come to you for rest? The only practical thing I can say about this is if you are constantly talking about how busy and stressful your life is, it's very hard to go to you for rest. We, guys, and I'm not, I'm not saying life doesn't get tough and big. I'm just saying that somehow all I hear sometimes from Christians is, man, life is, life is crazy. The kids and the job and life is crazy. Then how, if you're saying those things, how does a non-believer come up to you and go, I just need some rest? They can't. They're like, oh, okay, you, you need it more than me. I want us to think about that. Are we approachable? If we are so stressed and so busy all the time, someone who needs rest, how do they come to us? They can't. Finally, turn to John chapter 5. start in verse 39. Now, there's a lot here in this chapter, and I'm I'm just kind of picking up two verses. But in verse 39, it says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. You know, this whole message means absolutely nothing if you're not willing to actually accept the invitation and go. It really didn't matter that I got invited to a, a red carpet premiere for a movie because I didn't go. <laughs> so all the benefits of that really meant nothing because I didn't go. There's definitely some of us in the room, I would say, that again, I mean, I want you to look at 39. It says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. Can you, as a believer, actually be reading your Bible, doing religious things, going to church, and be missing the whole point of the Bible, which is Jesus Christ. Yes, because that's what's happening here. And Jesus is sitting there saying, guys, you've been the ones studying the Scriptures. You're, you're supposed to be the ones that know the Scriptures. All of them talk about me, and right here I am. And you won't come talk to me. You want nothing to do with me. You've missed the whole point. And somehow in our Christian walks, this can happen to us. Somehow this happens. You start reading the Bible for every reason except to get to know who Jesus Christ is. You go to church for every single reason except what am I going to hear from the Lord today? And again, there might be some of us in the room today that have never become a Christian. And you've been religious your whole life. And you know in your heart you've never said, I'm going to come to Jesus. And I'm going to believe that you died on the cross and you took away the punishment of my sins. And I'm going to give my life to you. Some of you maybe have never done that. 
these messages sometimes can just seem like, wow, to me, I can be like, wow, I'm so encouraged. Wow. God invites us to do a lot of things. Wow. And never go to him. So I'm, I'm just kind of like going, wow, that's pretty cool. And never go to him. I just want to encourage us this week to go to the Lord because he's invited us. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for uh, wanting to spend time with us. Thank you for not putting our sin under the rug but dealing with it. Thank you for uh, the fact that you want to help us when we're tired, when we're thirsty, uh, that you don't break down, that you don't uh, get discouraged. Oh, Lord, thank you that you don't grow weary in doing good. Thank you so much that you love us and that you don't show any personal favoritism. There's not certain Christians that you love more than others. Lord, you love everyone. And your love we can't even comprehend. Oh, God, that we could be like you. Thank you so much for who you are. In your name, amen.